This morning we come from all walks of life. We have different stories, different places, we have different careers, different talents, gifts. We may like different foods, go to different restaurants, order different things. We have different habits, we have different likes, and we have different dislikes. But we probably have one thing in common, whether spoken or unspoken, and it's this. I think we all want to feel alive. Not just heart beating in my chest kind of alive, but the kind of alive that brings energy, brings wonder, brings joy, brings resilience. It's the kind of alive that covers our life with meaning and purpose. It's, it's the kind of alive that makes life different than just simply marking time off the calendar and crossing days off the calendar. It's this kind of alive that reminds our soul that each day brings with it potential and possibility. Life may have its obstacles, but it never thwarts us because of this aliveness that we feel. In his book, We Make the Road by Walking, Brian McLaren describes us in this way. What we all want is pretty simple, really. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, breathe. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid, more awake, and more grateful more energized and purposeful. The quest for aliveness is the best thing about religion. He writes, I think it's what we're hoping for when we pray. It's why we gather, we celebrate, we eat, we attend, we practice, we sing, and we contemplate. When people say, I'm spiritual, what they mean, I think, is simply this. I am seeking aliveness. Now, what a contrast this is to the young couple in Ann Tyler's book, The Accidental Tourist. In this book, she tells of a young couple whose only son is murdered. And this, of course, does something to the couple. Tears them apart farther and farther and farther. And finally, they're at this point of legal separation. And so the wife in the story, exasperated, she finally says to her husband, she says, nothing ever touches you anymore. You just drift through life. And he's quiet for a long moment. And then really more to himself, he softly replies to her, I don't drift, I just endure. I don't drift, I just endure. Now maybe we should pause for a few moments. I, I do every time I read that line. I'll let it sink in. How many of us resonate with that line? We're not drifting. We're just simply enduring. <laughs> maybe we know exactly what The young wife is describing when she says to her husband, nothing ever touches you anymore. When was the last time you felt touched deeply within, that you were moved maybe to tears, to awe, to wonder? Just asking yourself, I hope this moment never stops. And we may start out our spiritual journey out of a sense of duty or obligation or tradition, but I believe we end up seeking aliveness, as Brian McLaren writes. In fact, even the scripture tells us that a result of our faith experience is that of aliveness. Paul's words that he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, here's what he writes. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved. It's as if the purpose of our salvation is aliveness, the end result of alive lived in the deep awareness of God's love. 
is aliveness. And according to Paul, God doesn't wait around for us to get our act together or us to figure out what it means to be alive. Even in our deadness, God loves us to life. Or in the case of the young husband, in the accidental tourist, God's love comes to us even in our drifting and our deadening, enduring, and loves us back to aliveness. And this isn't just life for after we die. This is aliveness now in the present while we are still breathing. But in the case of opening ourselves to aliveness, as the title says, I think alignment is the key. And I want to touch on that for a few moments. A few years ago, Starbucks Coffee ran an ad campaign that became one of their core values for their corporate culture. And it's simply this, everything matters. So for them, everything mattered from the feeling of the coffee shop to the products to the quality of their coffee to the greeting you receive from the barista. Everything matters. Now, I don't know if that holds true. You'll be the judge of that. But in the same way, I think alignment matters when it comes to our spiritual journey and our aliveness. And I want to explain that. How we align our lives makes a difference in how we view life, how we experience life, how we perpetuate life. Who and what we align our life with matters a lot. Now, when we think of alignment, we think of our cars, possibly. We keep our cars aligned. It reduces wear and tear on the tires. Alignment makes a difference in the long term of the tires. We hear alignment in the context of organizational development. Now, some of you here probably have these retreats and meetings, or the work teams, and are what the organization does in alignment with the overall priorities and goals of that organization. And I realize I'm getting into corporate speak here, and for some of you, your eyes are rolling in the back of your head. So I'm not going to go down that road. You're all right. But even in our personal life, we use alignment in the context of our priorities is the use of our time in alignment with our deepest held values. So alignment matters, and Jesus lived this life of alignment. He aligned his life with one thing, the kingdom of God. And quite honestly, Jesus invites us to do the same thing. For Jesus, the kingdom of God was not this far off and distant reality. It was this present reality that Jesus sought to exemplify in his actions. This kingdom of God, this reign and rule of God was and is love in action. It's mercy in action. It's sacrifice in action. If you want to see, in my opinion, the kingdom of God encapsulated in one instance, in one moment, in one phrase, it's Jesus on the cross saying to everyone in front of him and to all of humanity, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Absorbing everything all the violence that the world could offer him, and not returning violence with violence or vengeance with vengeance, but returning all of that with what? Love and forgiveness and reconciliation. This is the kingdom of God in action. The kingdom of God is about making things right in this world. It's Jesus' life showing us what that looks like and how it's done. And for Jesus, God's will, or as he calls it, his Father's will, was about this making things right. So Jesus aligned himself with God's will and God's purposes and God's rule and God's reign. And as we get closer down to Easter and Palm Sunday and Holy Week, we hear those words of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says what? In many instances in reality, he's saying, if there's another way, that would be great. But in reality, God, he says, not my will, but your will. Always aligning himself 
with what God wanted and his purposes in this world. He aligned himself with God rather than with the religious leaders or the Roman Empire. For Jesus, alignment matters, and it matters to everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. Now, in many ways, this is kind of a weird thing to say, I guess, or a risky thing, but I'll just put it there. Faith is a gamble. It really is. That's what faith is in many ways. I don't do much gambling, so it's not why I chose that image, but I just, as I was preparing this, it seems like faith is a gamble. And so in many ways, what I've chosen to do is put all my chips if you will, on the words of Jesus that to follow him, to align myself with him and God's rule and reign is what it means to experience life. I had an aha moment years ago when I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is no easy thing to align one's life with. But I was reading it, and all of a sudden I I asked myself, what if the Sermon on the Mount is not about scoring brownie points with God? What if the Sermon on the Mount is how God really intended life to be? This is what is most real. And then when you live that, when you align yourself with it, that's what Jesus is talking about. You will experience life and life abundant. To be able to let go and forgive. To be able to forgive my enemies, to let go of that. To be able to to not worry and just be present to this day and not worry about what I don't have and what I need and all of that. Maybe, just maybe, this is what Jesus was talking about. This is how life was intended to be, and when I align myself with that, it matters, and that's what the abundant life is all about. There's a certain part of our culture which says the abundant life is having more. So we keep trying that, but we keep being disappointed with that. Maybe the abundant life is just having less of all of that, but more of what we understand to be the kingdom of God. Mike Slaughter is a pastor in um, Ohio, and he writes a number of books, and he writes this about alignment. Our commitment to Jesus means commitment to a revolutionary lifestyle in which we do not subjugate our allegiance to Christ to any other priority. The commitment means ensuring that our lifestyle is in alignment with a kingdom of God worldview. A worldview is defined as a set of fundamental beliefs that determine our life values, decisions, and actions. But there it is. The commitment means ensuring that our lifestyle is in alignment with a kingdom of God worldview. In other words, again, commitment matters. Alignment matters. Truth be known, my life is in need of constant realignment. My worldview, my commitments, my priorities are in constant need of realignment. I am in constant need of soul realignment because through the week, I get out of alignment. I end up being committed to lesser things, lesser values, lesser priorities that don't bring life or generate life. And I know when my soul is in need of realignment when there's no energy, when it lacks life. I know my soul is in need of realignment when I'm defensive, when I'm accusatory rather than open, when I'm trying to always get the last word when I'm not understanding, when I'm not empathetic. I know my soul is in need of realignment when my worldview is being shaped more by the latest political soundbite or debate than it is by the ultimate values and vision of God's rule and reign, the kingdom of God. And I know my soul is in need of realignment when I fail to act with love toward those around me and those closest to me. It's like when you take your car to a mechanic and they realign it. When my soul needs realigned, I engage in certain practices that help with that process. So here's a few. For me, worship is a practice that realigns my soul. And again, I say that, and you're, 
maybe saying, well, you're the pastor. That just feels like something you're supposed to say. Like that's the standard line. Well, not really. More than just a good way to use up an hour on Sunday morning. Worship for me realigns my soul through the scripture, the hymns, the vocal ministry that we share. My soul is realigned with God in a way that I often can't do on my own. And that's why being in community is important. We may make a personal and individual choice to follow Jesus, but we're never designed to make a personal and solitary journey. Our souls need community and they need worship. And I need worship because to realign my soul with other things puts me at risk at making gods out of other things. My life will follow that which I worship. And throughout the week, I get out of alignment. I tend to worship other things, and I realize that. There are simple ways I realign my soul. Some days and weeks I reflect on the SPICE acronym that we as Quakers like. Simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality. I realign my soul with what it means to live in the Quaker way. This realigns my priorities, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, as well as other positions I choose to adopt. Some days I reflect on a scripture that's become important to me, Micah 6, 8, which reads this. He has told you what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so I reflect on these. And my soul is realigned, and I ask, what, it, what does it mean for my life to do justice, to embrace faithful love, to walk humbly with God? And I'm realigned with what I think is a more life-giving worldview. There's other ways I realign my soul. I spend time in solitude and silence. I read authors that feed my soul. I try my best to serve in ways that put me in close proximity with those that are in need or often forgotten. And each of these simple personal practices serve to realign my soul with this greater and more life-giving reality called the kingdom of God. I got to thinking about even this morning, what if I just made it very simple? You know, there's five words in spice, simplicity, peace, integrity, community, and quality. What if I just took one word each day? Today I'm going to focus on what does it mean to live a life of simplicity? Today I'm going to focus on what does it mean to live a life of peace or integrity or community? Today I'm just going to focus on what does it mean to live a life of equality, to keep my life aligned with what is good and life-giving. Let me meddle just a little bit more. And then I thought about 1 Corinthians 13 which we read a lot at weddings, and that's good. But what if we just shaped our life around it, that we allowed it to align our life in very simple ways? For example, what if we just took one portion of it each day and said, I'm going to align my life with this and see how I live it out? Listen to some of these phrases. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. What if one day I just said, today I'm not going to brag? I'm just going to live in love, and I'm going to align my life with love and not brag about anything. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. What if just today I chose not to be irritable, and I aligned myself with love? It doesn't keep a record of complaints. What if just today I aligned myself with love and chose not to complain? You see, I think there's all sorts of very simple ways that I, we, can align our life and our soul to feel alive, to feel like we are living into something real and life-giving. So how do you realign your soul? How do you know when your soul is out of realignment? It's interesting. 
By the way, cars that are out of alignment will increase the wear and tear on the tires, so they say. Souls that are out of alignment increase the wear and tear on their soul. I know this. I always know, always know, that my soul is out of alignment when I'm tired, when I'm weary and I'm exhausted. And when I'm tired and weary and exhausted, I'm cranky and I'm angry and I'm irritable and I'm impatient. And I know that. And those are moments where I have to take a step back and say, I need to be realigned. And I need to find those practices, whichever ones may be most available, and figure this out with God so that I can feel alive. I don't feel very alive when I'm tired, exhausted, cranky, irritable, and complaining. I feel most alive when I'm loving. And I'm gracious. And I'm empathetic. And I'm listening. And I'm present to life. And I'm present to people. Alignment matters. It matters in regards to who you and I will become. It matters in regards to the aliveness of our souls. It matters in regards to the world in which we live and the world we help to create. And whether we realize it or not, it matters to those around us, our family, our friends, the communities, and neighborhoods in which we live. I read this passage earlier, John chapter 6, 35. I'll share it again and then take a few moments and I'll sit down. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. Anyone who sees the Son and trusts who he is and what he does and aligns with him will enter real eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet alive and whole at the completion of time. 